Hello, it is Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com, and today I'm going to be speaking about the lost tribes of Israel. Now, this is a subject that's going to take me probably many segments to really uh, even begin to unravel the mysteries of this. And some people are perhaps wondering, well, what does that even mean? What are the lost house of Israel? Some of you perhaps have heard of the lost tribes. Uh, there's a lot of different theories out there in the world today about that. But I'll, I'll, I'll begin with my story and how I have uh, come about to even be interested in this subject. And it really started back in 2013. I was actually on, in Israel. I was up on Mount Arbel and walking down with two other individuals. And this uh, older grandma and her grandson were coming up uh, from, the, from the visitor center up to the top. And we were coming from the top down back to the visitor center. We crossed paths. And she asked me a very odd question. The question was, uh, first was, are you a believer? Well, in Israel, um, most times, that's a question you don't even want to talk about. There are uh, a lot of stereotypes and things going on with Christianity as a whole, and so to, to say that you are a Christian for a lot of Jewish people is very uh, repulsive. They really don't want anything to do with Christianity, largely because of the stereotype. They would they would stereotype um a lot of evil, negative things that had happened to them from the Inquisition, the Crusades, uh, some of that stuff, and the, the barbarism, really, if you want to say it that way, that took place during those periods of, of killing people at sword, sword point for not converting or things like that. And to them, they would even say the Holocaust, would because German would have claimed to have been a Christian nation. But... That's a whole different uh, argument. But just to give you a little background, why this was an odd comment. So she asked if I was a believer. Well, that's a question you don't get in the middle of Israel just to a complete stranger. But I answered and said, yes, I, I, I'm a believer in Yeshua. And then she asked, are you an Ephraimite? Well, that really kind of stunned me. And I paused. And I was like, what does this mean? And I guess in my mind I said, uh, you know, and, and I answered, perhaps. And then she said, you're an Ephraimite. Come back, Ephraim. We need you. And then she kept walking on. And I'll be honest with you, I was kind of taken back. I was not quite sure what to think of this whole thing. That's it's. There's only several times I can point out to things that were directly spoken as a message by a person like that that really has gripped me uh, like those words. But I didn't really make much of it, and I continued on down the, the hill, and it was just kind of one of those thoughts that went to the back of my head, and, you know, okay, great, well, what does that mean? Looking back now, three years later, uh, I would have to say... You know what? I have to rephrase. I was in 2014. I apologize. So two years later, um, I look back at this whole this whole event as it took place, and I see that it was the hand of God. It was God telling uh, me something that I needed to look into, and also who I am and what my identity is 
and why I'm so connected to the land, why I'm so interested in the land and why that I uh, have this keen interest. And so we went on and, and, you know, life went on for another year, two years. And this spring in 2016, this issue came up again. Now, I didn't really per se have any special revelation at that time, but it, it began to put my feet on the path of understanding what the lost house of Israel was and the lost sheep. And I, I started to look into it some, started gleaning information and picking up on things as people would say it. And as we were in Israel this spring, um, this really came up amongst several of them. I had uh, several pastors with, with me on the trip, and we began to discuss the issue of Ephraim and the lost tribes of Israel. And this discussion really kind of turned my world upside down. All of a sudden, we began to see a picture that God is doing in the world. And I, I don't know exactly the right way to, to reveal this step by step. That's why I'm just going to have to kind of do it as I, as I see it. And it'll take some time. But there's, there's a couple key things we have to look at. So what is the lost tribes of Israel? What is, is even that question? So first of all, we'll begin in the beginning and then we'll work our way forward, however many episodes that takes. So first of all, the lost tribes of Israel are a group of Israelites that had separated themselves uh, from their brothers, Judah, at the time when uh, Rehoboam was king in Israel. But before we even get to that, we're going to go back even further and start with Jacob himself. So Jacob was this man who fought with his identity one night over on the uh, on the other side of the brook of Jabbok when his family went in front of him in, in different groups and Jacob was last. He was hoping that if Esau comes up, you know, he'll be the last one. That maybe if he sees the children and the women first, then he'll, his heart would be softened. He's not going to be killed. But that night on the other side of Jabbok, he wrestled, it says, with an angel or a man. And I think... And, and I think we know that what he was wrestling with was himself. And, I, and I, it might have been an angel, but it was ultimately the question was given, who are you? And he said, my name is Jacob. And if you look at the life of Jacob, it was the first time Jacob admitted who he was. He was Jacob. If we look at the important points of his life, when his father asked, who are you? He said, I'm Esau and etc. So at this point, he acknowledges who he is. He is Jacob. And at that point, God calls him Israel. You are Israel. You're no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. His identity changed once he admitted who he was. There's a huge message in that. But moving on, so his sons that he had with two wives and uh, two of the handmaids were the 12 sons of Jacob. And it was actually more than 12 because in Joseph there was, he, he claimed Ephraim and Manasseh as his own. And Ephraim and Manasseh were actually the sons of Joseph, but he counted them as his. So all the, all the sons would have been 12. 
And Jacob uh, lived in Israel at the end of his life, or his or lived in, sorry, Israel lived in Egypt at the end of his life, and that's where he was buried. And then they went into bondage, and the, the biblical narrative takes over. But at that point, they're called the children of Israel. The children of Israel then create this identity, go through the Exodus, and this is really, you know, the first spring. Uh, God would describe it later as the honeymoon. This was the, the good times, the tender times when God led them through the land back up into uh, the land of Israel. And he settled them there. We know the stories. They crossed into the land, etc. Now, they settled into the land of Israel and the tribes, of course, were living there. And at that time, when trouble would come, things like that, God would allow a judge to come forth and a judge would come up take care of a problem, and then that judge would go away. And so Israel really was uh, ruled by God and his laws. And then if he needed an instrument in a human, he used judges. So you had prophets, judges, uh, leading Israel through that time. But God was their king and, and his law. But very quickly things started to go wrong. And eventually the people said, this is not going to work. We need a king. Now, there's a huge uh, message even in that because Samuel was the last of the judges. He was a prophet and a judge. And he was very unhappy, very, very unhappy that the people of Israel did that. And God said, why are you unhappy? They rejected me as king. And I and I looked at that and I look at that scenario in a spiritual sense. I'll just insert this little snippet. So, let me ask you the question: Do you look to an individual, or do you look to the King of Kings? Now, the Bible says we are to be followers of those who, through faith and patience, inherit promises. So, yes, we can follow men. And spiritual followers are great. Those those are very influential people. But God is our ultimate judge, and He is the one we need to follow, not ourselves. And not what we think is best. But Israel here decided we need a king. And so first of all, they get Saul, which ends up being basically a king that is, at the appearance of it, would be very kingly. A, a man, head and shoulders above the rest, stature, ability, uh, all of it. And he failed miserably because he believed more in his strength and in his intuition than he did in what God commanded him. Next, we have David. And David is a man that God says is a man after his own heart. And I know as Christians today, we look at that and are like, you know, how can that be? David did so many things wrong. There was other reasons for it, but David was a shepherd. And I think ultimately that is why he says that, because God has always used that analogy of sheep and leading sheep. In his word, it went back in Israel, he called them the sheep. And then later, you know, Jesus talks about the sheep. And we'll get that to that at the end. But David established his kingdom. And he was the first one who really unified Israel. You have to realize under Saul, yes, he was the king of, Is of Israel. But not all the tribes were really behind him. Uh, he had a couple tribes there up in the cent central Benjamin Plateau. And he his his base camp was Gibeah, which is not too far from Shiloh, but north of Jerusalem. Well, at that time, David went out and 
um, for various reasons, Saul was after him. He actually became a mercenary to uh, King Achish of Gath. And Achish uh, used him, and ultimately at, at, the, at the last battle that David was with him as a mercenary, Achish said, you can't go with us. My generals don't trust you. And they go up and fight the battle on Gilboa, which is where Jonathan and Saul are killed, and they bring the message to David. David then goes to the southern tribes which and, and establishes his uh, kingship at Hebron. Okay, Hebron is really where he rules first. And then some time goes on, and then we get this picture of the mighty men who are coming down from Israel with the faces as lions, and they make him king. And that's when he becomes king of Israel. So then he goes and he starts kicking out all the enemies of Israel. And then he eventually makes his capital in Jerusalem. Now, believe it or not, Hebron and Gibeah, if, if you look at those, halfway in between is Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is actually kind of a middle, uh, if you will, a compromise. I, I don't want to use that word, but kind of is between the north and the south at that time. So he establishes his throne in Jerusalem. Where? Right in the middle of the kingdom. Not on one side, not on the other. In the middle. And there's, there's symbology in that. But And so... Uh, David's kingdom is established. Now, of course, there's going to be trouble in David's kingdom because of his sin. With his sin of Bathsheba, uh, God says you're going, to, you're going to have trouble in your lineage. And, of course, that happens. In the next generation, we have Solomon. Solomon was good to begin with, ended up kind of bad. Some people would then say he repented. That's what Lamentations is all about. But um, if you look at that whole thing, so at the end, David... Uh, or Solomon is bad, and his son Rehoboam uh, is even worse, and Israel revolts. And there's uh, some tribes stay, the northern tribes stay with Israel, and the southern tribe, or with, uh, sorry, with the kingdom or the kings of David, and the southern tribes. I'm sorry, I'm rephrasing that. Judah stays with the kings of David, and the northern tribes have their own king. First one is Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam caused Israel to sin, not the south. Now, the southern kingdom was then called Judah because the, the majority of the tribe in the south was Judah. The kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Simeon, there were some Levites, and Benjamin was down there. So those are the southern tribes. The northern tribes are the rest. And they separate themselves at that point. Now, at that point, God recognized them as separate entities. If you read the Bible, it then talks about the house of Israel and the house of Judah as two separate things. And the culmination of those two is really in the lifetime of Isaiah and, Jer and Jeremiah, who are somewhat contemporaries of each other. Right in there is where all of the separation and things going on and prophecies related to Israel and Judah are spoken. But just for the sake of time, I'm going to leave those even to separate things. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of it. But at the end, I thought I would bring this in at the end. This is an uh, interesting fact. In Matthew 10, 5, it says, These twelve 
Jesus sent forth. This is at the time when he's sending his disciples forth. And he commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Okay, so what is that? Well, at the time of the dispersion, uh, which is the first time, the Assyrians came down and conquered Israel. So northern half, not the south. Babylonians later came and destroyed Judah, carried them into captivity. Now, the Israel, lost sheep of Israel, were taken up to Assyria. Iran, some of those areas, okay? It was really, they said it was in the northern part of Syria, which would be right close to Turkey, right close to Iran. It's right in there is where they said they were at. And God, for some reason, said he was going to scatter them to the ends of the earth, and they were going to lose their identity. Now, a small remnant came back to the land, and these were the Samaritans, but they were not considered full-class citizens in that time. And Gentile is really anybody who's not full-blooded Jew. So even a Samaritan in that time was considered a Gentile. But he says, don't go in the way of the Gentiles and into the, any of the city of the Samaritans. So he's talking about is don't go to these little cities, okay? There was a lot of Gentile cities there. Tiberias, um, you know, Susita, Betshan, some of those places. Those are Gentile cities. But he said, rather... Go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where does that come from? And then later in Matthew 15, he says, But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, who was the Messiah sent to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why is that important? Because in, in even in the thought of the days, only a messianic figure would be able to know who the lost sheep were. Now, let me just build a little picture here, and then this episode will be over. And we'll continue our discussions in later, later episodes. So what does this mean? Well, as, as believers in Jesus, okay, yeah, he's Lord and Savior. That's something, you know, we declare Lord and Savior. But there's a greater uh, picture in this. There was a Messiah expected to come to the Jewish people. Who is this Messiah? He was one who was to be like Moses. Okay? And Moses himself declared one who is going to come and is even going to be greater than him. So they were waiting for this one who was like Moses. And Jesus came. Now, of all the Messianic figures that ever were, and there was lots of them, if you study history, there was plenty of people who claimed to be the Messiah. Only one, okay, is known the world over. Who is it? Jesus. But why is he known the world over? I think the secret is in this verse. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And with that, I will leave you at a cliffhanger. And hopefully, uh, next time, we're going to further go into what that means. But I want you to consider that verse. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <laughs>